I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual. Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual. On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. France, 1760. The wonder man of Europe runs for his life. No records exist of his birth, death, or true identity. Called himself the Count of Saint Germain. Others called him the man who would not die. Like this, go. Do not bring food for the immortals. He's a genius. A genius, monsieur. Clearly, Madame Giry. Genius has turned to madness. Who is the Count of Saint Germain? Who is the Count of Saint Germain? That was awkward. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. <laughs> I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. Do we need to do that anymore? <laughs> oh, yeah. We I'm still your host, Lacey Ramsey. God damn it. I'm still your host, <laughs> Alex Brennan. But yeah, I forgot we have an intro. I've been using that muscle so long, I forgot. I don't need it. I don't know. We're, we're kind of professional-ish-ish mm. now. <laughs> em- emphasis on the ish. We have 800 downloads. We have 798 downloads. You know what? I know that there have been downloads since it reported 798 a few days ago. So don't give me that, Lazy. Don't take this from me. (laughs) Sorry, listeners, that you had to listen to that. Um, Mommy and Mommy are having a fight right now. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. We'll get through this. Do whatever you want, Lazy. Do whatever you want. I'm going to. Now let's bring our child in that we've traumatized. Yeah, uh, we've also been fighting in front of our special guest, Kendall. I'm here! Into the microphone. Hi! You guys may remember Kendall from Aliens! And Kendall is a founding member of this podcast. Yes! I just couldn't commit to it, as well as these beautiful humans, so here we are. You've had you've had a lot going on it's since, true. It's true. since yeah. we concocted this crackpot idea of having a podcast. It's true, it's a beautiful idea. So we're happy to have Kendall when she's able to come stop by, and Thank when she's you. interested in yeah. what we're talking about. And yes. today, Kendall is here for our topic... The Count of St. Germain! Yeah, that's fabulous. Kendall, do you want to tell us uh, why you're interested in The Count of St. Germain? Well, um, I actually read a book series, and I I believe it's called the Ruby Red Trilogy. It's like a young adult um, trilogy, and it's all about this gene that goes through um, the bloodline um, of a family, and one person of each generation gets this trait where they are able to travel in time. And so once they find out that they can travel in time, they have these random, uncontrollable flashes back into time. And so um, multiple times they meet Count St. Germain, um, because he is the person, apparently the head of the family that started the time travel um, gene. And there's a lot of conspiracy behind him and like what he um, is capable of and how far he's truly traveled. And I didn't realize he was a real person until, of course, Alex let me know. So I'm very interested to hear about him. You know, this kind of sounds like a blend of uh, the seven son of a seven son superstition that the seven son of a seven son will have powers usually vampiric and the time traveler's wife. 
Oh. Yeah. See, I've read The Time Traveler's Wife, but I didn't know that tongue-twisting one that you just said. Oh, look, here, if it has to do with witchcraft or if it has to do with any sort of ancient mythical folklore... I turn to you. <laughs> it's just the slob in me coming out, that's all it is. So, yeah, but before I tell you about the Count of St. Germain, Lacey, what the hell are we drinking? And why did you show us boogers? It's pretty. <laughs> it wasn't boogers, so I gave them a sneak. I, I don't usually let Alex see what I'm making, but I gave Alex and Kendall a sneak peek of one of my ingredients uh, because I thought that they would have a funny reaction to it, which they did. They were very grossed out and guessed it was boogers. Spoiler, <laughs> it's not boogers. Uh, so you were drinking the St. Germaniac. Oh, I love that. I love your wordplay. <laughs> so you can go ahead and take a sip and I'll tell you what's in it. The poison. Sticking. Poison. Not poison. The thing I showed you was simple syrup with black peppercorns, which I created myself and stewed for a while and let the peppercorns sit in it. That's really wow. good. What is that taste? Thank you. So it's uh, black peppercorn, simple syrup, elderflower liqueur. Elderflower. That's the mm. taste. Which uh, is the namesake of this drink. St. Germain is an elderflower liqueur. Uh, full disclosure, oh. it's not the one in this one because I already had a bottle of another kind. So I just <laughs> right. that. Because so what you're saying is you're lying to us. I, yeah, I'm honestly telling you. <laughs> and there the one in, the, in my picture uh, for the cocktail is also oh. the one that I use. My blueberries fell in. <laughs> uh, it's got muddled blueberries <laughs> as well as blueberry garnish. <laughs> And uh, to top it off, it's got Prosecco. Uh, extra dry, because everything else in this is very sweet. Mm. So if you go any sweeter than extra dry, it's way too sweet. It's fantastic. And then there's a sprinkle of pepper on top as well. Yeah, I was wondering what that was. So, what, um, so say that again. What is the bit that the black pepper was floating in? Uh, simple syrup. Oh. So simple syrup is if you just uh, boil a cup of water and a cup of sugar together until it all reduces down into a syrup. Okay. I actually let mine boil off for a long time so it got much more concentrated into sugar and so the pepper got into it and then mm. I didn't strain it immediately. I actually left it in my fridge for a few days to like let the pepper flavor get into it more. I see. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, didn't you make your own simple syrup when we did uh, Evergreen Scream? I did, which also featured elderflower like yours. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first half of that this another bottle. good drink that you had. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. I did that with uh, pine needles. Yeah, yeah. I remember because <laughs> I remember you telling me about, I found the Christmas tree and it's just been waiting for something. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty excited <laughs> to true. take that picture. So yeah, I do like elderflower liqueur. It's traditionally used with something like Prosecco and so that's not like a big twist, but I did think like muddling the blueberries into it to give it some tartness and then adding the black pepper simple syrup gave it a little bit of depth. All right. Cheers. 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 Okay, well, let's talk about the Count of St. Germain. I was telling Lacey and Kendall before this, but I didn't go too much in-depth because I wanted to get on like, but I actually did probably the most thorough in-depth research on this episode. Now, not that I'm never thorough or research my other episodes. Yeah, you're known for your thoroughness, so it's strange to me that, like, yeah, this must be, concerning. like, yeah, I'm wondering what the webpage is going to look like for our episode where, like, the references is just going to be, like, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Keep no, scrolling. no, no, it's not going to be that long. It's not going to be that crazy. Um, But the thing is, so the Count of St. Germain, he was a real person, but there is a lot of struggle separating the man from the myth. Some of the accounts I'm going to read are actually uh, collections of letters that people have written about the Count of St. Germain including from people like the actual Casanova and from Voltaire, the actual Voltaire. A lot of these have actually been preserved in, uh, Copenhagen has been doing this amazing thing where they've been preserving a lot of letters from that time. Apparently the Danish prince was a really good friend of the Count of St. Germain. So there is a lot of historical documentation 
two of his pieces of work are actually in the British Museum. So we do know he existed, but the thing that's going to be really hard for us is trying to separate truth from fantasy. So what I want to do is I'm going to read a little bit of an intro just to kind of get us in the Count of St. Germain mood, just kind of wet your palate to what we're getting into here. (laughs) Just the tip. Just the tip. I played that game. (laughs) Do you make the tips kiss? Just the tips, it's fine. (laughs) Um, But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down a timeline of events concerning the Count of St. Germain. Some of these are known, like we can confirm them because we have documentation to some degree that he was in certain places at certain times. Other ones are just rumor. Some of them are more plausible than others. So our job today, while we're going down that timeline, is to figure out what we believe, what we don't believe, and where we think fact and fiction may meet in the middle. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I'm also excited that it's going to be a, our job to separate everything out, unlike the lies of Tanya Head, where everything was just total <laughs> bullshit from this her. Lie, Tanya has been lying for so long. <laughs> that was wild from start to finish. <laughs> what I'm going to read to you is a prophecy that was received by the French royalty in 1788. And this is supposedly four years after the death of the Count of St. Germain, though he is credited with originally giving the prophecy. So this prophecy would have been given in 1784. The time is fast approaching when imprudent France, surrounded by misfortune she might have spared herself, will call to mind such hell as Dante painted. It's a really happy opening. (laughs) This day, O Queen, is near. No more can doubt remain. A hydra, vile and cowardly, with his enormous horns, will carry off the altar, throne, and themis, in place of common sense, madness, incredible will reign, and all be lawful to the wicked. So, the rest of it pretty much continues like that, but I think that part alone just gives you the gist of it. He's calling out to the monarchy of France that you've gone too far, queen, you specifically, are going to be targeted, Uh, the people are going to come down on you. Y'all done fucked up. And when was this? He prophesied this in 1784. It reached the ears of the royalty in 1788. Here's the thing, though. 1793, nine years later after the prophecy, was when Marie Antoinette was decapitated. Yeah, I was like, isn't this around the time of the French Revolution? Like, this is nine years before. Okay, yeah. So he knew something was a stirring. Yeah, yeah, and it could just be that he really had uh, an ear to the ground when it came to what was happening in France. Like, you you can see when a country is about to rip itself apart. I mean, look at America right now. It's too soon. (laughs) Is it too soon? (laughs) So that is kind of just an idea of the Count of Saint-Germain. So though the first Count of the Count of Saint-Germain may have begun as early as 1710, it wasn't until the 1740s his prominence in French and European aristocracy became widely known. Though his identity remains a mystery, it is likely based on two factors. Firstly, in the 1700s, it was actually very popular for members of both the aristocracy and nobility to socialize under a pseudonym. Examples of this include Voltaire, whose true name was Francois-Marie Alrat, and Alessandro Calastigro, who was also truly known as Giuseppe Balsamo. He was a famous occultist and magician. Secondly, the Count used several aliases. The Count of Saint-Germain is his most well-known one, Mm. but he 
was known to use at least seven others, though seven are what are confirmed. They're believed to be more than that. Was one of them R.C. Christian? <laughs> Spoiler alert! Hey, if you've listened to the Georgia Guidestones, it's not. I mean, if you listen to the Georgia Guidestones episode, you expected this coming. <laughs> but also, I mean, the Count of St. Germain, not only did he use many aliases, but he was incredibly elusive regarding his name, his age, and his origin. He often flatly stated that he could, that he was centuries old, or he coyly implied that maybe he was just older than he looked. What is known about the man is that he was just as intriguing as the exaggerated tales and works of fiction <laughs> which surround him. According to English writer and art historian and antiquarian Horace Walpole in a correspondence in 1745 regarding the Count, so this is one of those proofs that he did exist. The Count, quote, spoke Italian and French with the greatest facility, though it was evident that was neither that neither was his language. He understood Polish and soon learned to understand English and talk it a little. But Spanish or Portuguese seemed to be his natural language. So how many languages is that? Like seven? I'm actually going to count down the number of languages coming hey, up. <laughs> but also in the same correspondence, he goes on to say, he sings and plays the violin wonderfully, composes, is mad, and is not very sensible. <laughs> he is called an Italian, a Spaniard, a Pole, uh, somebody that married a great fortune in Mexico and ran away with her jewels to Constantinople, a priest, a fiddler, a vast nobleman. The Prince of Wales has an unsatiated curiosity about him but in vain. Huh. And these are the these are the things that we can prove that have actually been accounted about him. Furthermore, while he was also in England, he visited Lady Jemima York. Make your joke now. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing there, Kenny? Enjoy Fine. that simple syrup. <laughs> I heard I heard you're actually related to her. How are you related to Jemima? What? Is she your aunt? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wow, I'm not following. Stop drinking. Go ahead, drink more, drink more. <laughs> but uh, when he visited her in the spring of 1749, she relayed the following in her own letter. He is an odd creature. And the more I see him, the more curious I am to know something about him. He is everything with everybody. He talks ingenuously with Mr. Ray, philosophy with Lord Willoughby, and is gallant with Miss York, Miss Carpenter, and all the young ladies. But character and philosopher is what he seems to pretend to, and a good deal conceited of. The others are put on to comply with, and I can't speak French, so, les manières du monde? but that you are supposed his real characteristic. So pretty much he's like, I might be this, but I may not be this. And this is a part of the game for all of us. Uh, but I can't fancy he is a great pretender of all kinds of science, as well as that he really hasn't acquired of an uncommon share in some. So he's a guy that seems to like know a lot of stuff, but some of his like, is he just making this up? But like in some areas, like he clearly knows what he's talking about. Does he say old sport a lot? <laughs> In addition to his behaviors, the man was actually a great artist. He is credited with composing no fewer than 59 pieces of music, including 42 Italian arias, 4 English songs, 7 violin solos, 
and six trio sonatas, which includes a violin with a harpsichord. Okay. Two of his pieces of musical work are currently in the British Museum. He was a philosopher and an artist with a shockingly acute memory. He shared his great musical works with the likes of, I shit you not, Tchaikovsky, and he played the harpsichord for Frederick the Great. He was said to be an accomplished painter. He specifically stated, or actually it is specifically stated by anyone who could see his paintings, that he could paint jewels with flawless accuracy. Oh my gosh. But kind of continuing in that same vein, jewels and gemstones were a prominent feature of both his life and his wardrobe. He was said to be fond of diamonds. He often wore them to social events, but he also claimed he was an alchemist and could repair even a flawed stone. Oh, oh, he's a liar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I see. Yes, yes. Okay, can, can, continue, continue. Like his name and origins, the basis of his wealth is entirely unknown. He was said to be a striking man to look at, particularly his eyes. In all his appearances, he never seemed to age beyond his mid-40s, despite there being 40 established years of his life. So during those 40 established years of his life, assuming he was 40 at the beginning, he should have looked 80 by the end, but he still looked 40. Like Keanu Reeves. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> He's like 190, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Though the Count of St. Germain is his most well-known pseudonym, he has no fewer than seven, though others are rumored. Voltaire himself referred to him as, quote, the man who knows everything and never dies, and, quote, the wonder man. He is reported to speak Swedish, Portuguese, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and Russian with knowledge of Sanskrit, Chinese, and Arabic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Who has that much time? First of all, there's no internet back then. Let's start there. There's no TV. So how do you like, have the resources to learn that many? Because that like five or more makes you a polyglot, right? So he's like beyond that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are a couple of... We'll get into the end of who we think we may, he may be. Based on his knowledge, now, this is a time when literacy really wasn't very common. So he probably had some sort of wealthy background, like maybe he was raised in an aristocracy or an aristocratic household, or maybe if he was a peasant, then he probably worked for a rich family that helped school him in those things. I think that tracks both because from an access to education perspective and also from a, I think as a poor person, it's a lot harder to fake having money than as a rich person, like just be, seeming like some guy. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like if, you know, if he were rich, he might he might not feel as obligated to learn all these things because he's always going to have access to it. Whereas if he didn't have money, he might feel it's like, well, I don't know when it's going to be taken from me. I need to learn everything I can right now. And he just continued in that vein his whole life. Yeah, yeah fair. But then there are people that are just naturally curious. Sure. I mean, on this podcast, we literally learn a new subject every other week. Yeah. We are constantly training ourselves on new things, so it seems far-fetched to us, but I think if we really dedicated ourselves, we could. I mean, how many languages did uh, J.R.R. Tolkien write? Is it four? Because like, he wrote Elvish, Orcish. Anyways, he wrote the Lord of the Rings books, so people <laughs> understood why he made up languages. Pretty much, well, I made up these languages, so I better pretty much put a, mytho a mythos to it. Guess I gotta do something with these now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a weirdo, I promised. I'm not just a crazy linguist. That's fair. But like, I, I do think about like access to things, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I did Duolingo for Portuguese before I went to Portugal to mm -hmm. like try to get around more easily. Turns out you don't really need it. A lot of people speak English. Yeah, but yeah. like, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's easy. We could just pick it up. But like, that was with the internet every day, yeah. like on my app. 
But I also wonder if we're looking at this from an American perspective, because we're our closest foreign country to us here in Seattle is Canada, where they all speak English. Except for in Quebec. <laughs> I mean, in Europe, I mean, the countries are much smaller, they're closer together. Maybe with trade being what it was at the time, mm. it would behoove someone to actually know multiple languages if you're working in multiple markets. Sure. I'm just speculating. Yeah, but he also knew some, like, bits of Asian languages as well, and that's not as common. The Sanskrit we can explain, and we're going to get to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you guys ready for the timeline? Yes. Okay. Give it to me. So with the timeline, again, all of these events are things that are listed. Some of these we can establish. So those are I'm going to call known. Ones that are not known but are just spoken of are rumored. And some of those I may go a little bit in depth on where it's like, we well, yeah, had this part we can prove, but the back part might be bullshit. So I'll kind of give you guys those caveats as we go. All right. So this both falls under suggested and known because there seemed to be some correspondence of him at, during this time. But between... 1737 and 1472, it suggested that the Count of Saint-Germain, or the man that we know as the Count of Saint-Germain, was in Persia studying alchemy at the court of the Shah of Persia. Did you mean 1742? 1737 to 1742. Okay. <laughs> what did I say? 1442. Yeah, he went. Like, oh, we're going back in time already. Like, Shit, I gotta write this down. Gotta get down. back in time. <laughs> <laughs> he hopped in his DeLorean. Um, I got distracted by that as well, and I forgot what he was doing during that yeah, time. Yeah, I'm going to need you to repeat <laughs> So he was in Persia studying alchemy at the court of, Sh of the Shah of Persia. Sure. This is both rumored and slightly proven. Like, there is some correspondence that he was in this part of the world, but whether or not he was actually, like, a guest of the Shah and learning alchemy is a totally different thing. It's a crapshoot. I'm going to take some notes, because I feel like I, I want to keep this timeline straight. Yeah. In 1742, it is known that he was in Versailles, but we don't know why. Okay. In 1743, it is known that he was in England. At this time was when the Jacobite Rebellion was continuing, was going on. And to explain what that is, Charles Edward Stuart launched a campaign to put his father, James Francis Edward Stuart, back on the throne. Clearly, this was after the fall of the House of Stuart. Of course, this campaign was unsuccessful, which is why history calls it a rebellion and not a revolution. Funny how that works out. <laughs> this was also the same time as the Austrian War of Succession, but we will talk about that more later. Now, when he was in England, he did stay on Martin Street in London, and he was later arrested by Horace Walpole, and he was suspected to be a spy in 1745. And this is that same guy that we talked about earlier that had the correspondence that the prince was intrigued by him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the guy who's the art historian, all these great things. Mm -hmm. um, in 1745, it is suggested that he designed prototypes for steam engines. Now, we're going to put an asterisk on this. Number one, steam engines had technically been invented at this time, but this is before the Industrial Revolution, so yeah. they weren't as widespread or used mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. So when we say prototype, it looked like he was trying to master steam engines, so we can kind of confirm that he was working on this kind of technology, but... I think the word prototype is misleading. Like, he invented the steam engine ahead of the time. Right, as opposed to, like, continuing to develop different designs mm -hmm. or try to make it better. Yeah, it's like saying someone was working on prototypes for stem cell research right now. We know this science is out there, something that we've been working on for a couple decades now. It's just not a solid science, but if you ask someone in 50 years, they're going to be like, oh, such and such discovered stem cells? Mm, fair. So, yeah. it's right. what it is. So, this is also known in 1745, and this has to do with his rest in 
London. He has an encounter at the French Charge d'Affaires in London, so essentially their embassy. When he was at the embassy, he refused to answer any questions and would speak only with, quote, King Louis XV regarding his person. I'll okay. only talk to the king. Only the king. <laughs> Ship me to France. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then, uh, between 1743 and 1745, this is known, he visited Frederick the Great in Vienna, and this is when he was playing the harpsichord for him. So if we're tracking this history, Walpole's already met him in England, so before he's arrested, or around the time he's arrested, they know that he's a great musician, he's played the harpsichord, he's written some pieces of music. He's, he's just very good. 1745, this is known, he went to Edinburgh. Edinburgh. This, Edinburgh. This is actually really boring. He went to pretty much retrofit a pier. A P I E R. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my brain makes the strangest conclusion. Yeah, he was he was he was retrofitting a dock. All it's right. really boring. All right. Um, but it's like just kind do. of trying to establish, like, he gets around, he's, like, yeah, in different yeah. places, kind of in Europe. But this shows, you know, he does have an eye for art, for architecture, for structure. Okay. Um, and then in 1749, it is known that he then officially begins working for King Louis XV as a diplomat. He may have been working for King Louis XV before this. That might be why he was in England during the rebellion. I don't know if you guys know this, but France and England haven't always been besties. What? <laughs> You don't say. I know, spoiler alert, from the past. <laughs> For when you go time traveling, don't be surprised. In 1750, it is known that he visited Madame de Pompadour in France. And yes, that is Pompadour. Pompadour. <laughs> Madame Pompadour. Reminds me of Doctor Who. She's, she's hanging out with all of her other rockabilly friends way before their time. And then in 1757, or in 1758, there are some conflicts on this. On the invitation of King Louis XV, he stayed at at the Royal Chateau of Chambord in Touraine, and he and Voltaire were guests at the same time. Okay, yeah. continue. Lacey had a moment of like, I think I have an idea, and I was like, what is it? And then she was like, continue. Chambord is, I'm glad you didn't tell me Chambord was involved. Uh, it is a raspberry liqueur. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alex showed up and she died. I wouldn't have used it, obviously. I I'm not trying to kill you. I need your help with this podcast. <laughs> As you've seen it today. Find somebody else to edit this, Lacey. <laughs> So then it's known that he meets Baron de Gleichen and the widow of Chevalier Lambert in Paris. Those have all been pronounced terribly, and I apologize to our European listeners. In his memoirs, Gleichen recalls, quote, the, I, And there saw me enter a man of medium size, very sturdy, dressed with beautiful simplicity and refined. He threw his hat and sword on the bed of the mistress of the house, placed himself in the chair near the fire, and interrupted the conversation and said to the man who spoke, You know not what you say. There is only me who can speak on this matter. I have exhausted all like the music and I have abandoned, unable to go beyond. Wow. So he's not arrogant or anything. Not at all. Yeah. He just like barges in. He's like, uh, all right, all right. He's like, it's like a, your drunk friend that thinks they're smarter than they are. They're like, look. Hey, shh, shh. No. So drunk Alex is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but shut up. Let me speak. What? What? No, shut. Anyway, shh. So what I was saying is, shut up. What I'm saying is. 
<laughs> I I like his uh yeah his confidence I guess. That's like, my mind. Hey, hey, he sounds like a like a non-playable character who has a quest for you in a video game. Yeah. Like this guy like runs up to you and is like, "Stop everything! I've got something very important." And, and you're like, "Only I have it." I'm gonna have to track down a violin for this motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I feel like this guy would be like really fun like from afar. Like if you're like at a party, people watching, just like watch him the whole time. Mm-hmm. But if you're like one of the people that has to hang out with him, it's just like, oh god, can we just? Can we get out of here? Yeah. Can I just like get the plague already and just leave? We get it. You're <laughs> awesome. Anyway. Also, like, do you get to be a count by not having money? Like that he has to have So also remember everyone was traveling under pseudonyms at the time. Uh, so nobody's yes, using their real name. Fair. It's like if I walked around and said I'm Alexandra Saint Awesome. <laughs> I mean that tracks, so Oh yeah, I mean my I have gone by Lex Luthor before. So. <laughs> That's fair. You're Professor Lex in my phone. I am Professor Lex. Um, I'm Professor Lex on Instagram and on Twitter, which most people don't even know I have a Twitter and I like it that way. Don't follow me. <laughs> anyway, here we are. In 1760, he did travel to Hague and then to London after learning of a warrant for his arrest. It is rumored he was forced to leave before he could complete a treaty which would have ended the Seven Year War three years earlier. Here's what we do know. The truth is, there was a warrant for his arrest, so he had to go to Hague, and he had to go, well, he had to go travel to go to where the warrant was. The rumor is that while he was in London, he was forced to leave before he could put, like, the final little garnish on this treaty that would have ended the Seven Years' War earlier and made it the Four-Year War. <laughs> what was his, what was his, what was he wanted for? I could not find that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that is a, that's a good question. I wonder that as well. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple suspicions that I have when it comes to his identity, so I have some suspicions of what this could be implying to, but... Mm, okay, all right. More on that Endless. later. All right. So, then in 1760, George III of England seals the Mitchell Papers, which is a collection regarding the Count in France, and orders them not to be disclosed until after his death. This is around the same time that the Count has left. Seven Year War is still going on. Dude's left for a treaty and something. He's like, you know, all this information we have on the Count of Saint Germain in France, we're just gonna like lock it up until I'm dead. Huh. Not suspicious at all, right? Yeah. Okay, so all files uh, regarding him are sealed, you know, for funsies, because why the hell not? So then in 1763, and this is known, he meets the actual Casanova. And in a correspondence, Casanova says, quote, The most enjoyable dinner I had was with Madame de Robert Gergi, who came with the famous adventurer known by the name of the Count de Saint-Germain. This individual, instead of eating, talked from the beginning of the meal to the end, Jesus. and I followed his example in <laughs> one respect as I did not eat, but listened to him with the greatest attention. It may safely be said that as a conversationalist, he was unequaled. Casanova was charmed by him, and this guy didn't shut up. I feel like if this guy, if someone just like kept talking at me for the entire duration of dinner, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> very much the opposite of charmed. Right. Unless, I mean, I guess if what he was saying was so interesting that you were just like enamored. That you must know? be it, right? Because he's the great adventurer, the Count de Saint Germain. <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying it like that. It's Daphne coming out today. <laughs> oh, have you met Daphne yet? She's my my French counterpart. There's Daphne, and then what's your drunk name? Val. 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 
Yeah, so there's Lex, Daphne, and Val. I have, there's so many people in here. Then there's uh, my version of Alex Jones. <laughs> we don't, we don't get to talk to him all that often. And thank God we don't. But then there's Jerome, the newspaper man. Oh my God. That's <laughs> was you, Mr. Yep. There are a lot of people in here. People wonder why I'm on medication. <laughs> <laughs> Then from 1765 to 1770, and this is rumored, he may or may not have been in Russia involved in the revolution under the name Graf Saltikov. And this was on and off. So supposedly between 1765 and 1770, he was bouncing in and out of Russia while also doing other things. Then... <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna be a part of the Russian revolution, but I have, like, have my own shit going on and, like, my own <laughs> dinner parties to get to and charm people out. So, like, I'm a part-time revolutionist. Revolutionary. Yeah. So, you know, I really, I love a good rebellion. I just want to be all up in it, but I also really just want to play the harpsichord for you and tell you all about my adventures. It's important to yeah. take time for self-care. <laughs> <laughs> in 1768, and this is completely rumored, it is rumored that he was in Versailles and was present for the catastrophe of Madame Chateauroux. Now, she was one of the official mistresses of Louis XV, and she was rumored to be murdered by poisoning. That part is true. This part probably isn't true. Allegedly, Louis asked uh, the Count of Saint-Germain for the antidote, to which he replied it was too late for her. So even if he, you know, had an antidote to give her to save her, she was far too gone. Allegedly. Alleged. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> he may have traveled under the name M. de Saint-Noël to avoid the authorities after this event implying that he may or may not have had a hand in the mistress's death. So he's like, you know, I'm going to stir some shit up over in Russia, but you know what? I'm going to stop by Versailles real quick and see the king, who's one of my BFFs, and I'm just going to go up and poison his mistress for funsies. Yeah. All right. Like you do. Well, that'll Mm -hmm. be another story he can tell at a dinner party. Remember, 1765 to 1770, he's bouncing in and out of Russia. Well, in this window, and this is known, in 1767, he actually set up a shop in Venice and a mass-produced synthetic silk made from flax. What? Again. Who has... he not sleep? <laughs> Who has this kind of time? He's like, you know, when I'm not poisoning mistresses and working on rebellions and revolution, I really like a good fake silk. I really like textiles. God, it takes money to be eccentric. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you gotta have startup capital. Well, like, you guys have seen uh, the original Batman movie from the 1980s, right? Mm. Who's in that one? Uh, it's the Michael Keaton Batman. Yes, yeah. Where there's a part where the Vicky Vale's there with her uh, counterpart from the newspaper, the photographer, or not the photographer, the writer, because she's the photographer. And uh, they had just met Bruce Wayne, and he kind of like walks out, and he's like, oh, give, him a, give Knox a grant. And they're just like, you know why the rich can be so crazy? Because they can afford it. Yeah, well, and this here we are. And All right. I'm quoting Batman for you guys. Come on. Hashtag privilege. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't appreciate my Batman references. And I told you my back was broken. I was like, Batman survived when Bane did it. And you guys were like, what? No, you guys actually got that reference. Yeah. All right, Batman, moving on. <coughs> Batman? Batman. Oh, Batman. <laughs> I was like, where did a bath come into play? No. We're not talking about President Garfield right now. Um, <laughs> was it Garfield who got stuck in the tub? No. Taft. Yeah. Taft was in the tub. I was like, it was a name that sounds more like bath, but I couldn't remember. It was Taft. <laughs> Taft was in the tub. It's a good way to yeah. remember it. <laughs> Taft bath. <laughs> Taft bath. <laughs> What is this podcast? (laughs) Um, Okay, so after he set up his textile shop for, you know, funsies, in 1770, he did stay in Venice, and there he meets 
Graf Maximilian Joseph von Lamberg, that's one hell of a name. That is, yep. And he is a German physicist and philosopher. The two became really good friends, and they later traveled to the island of Corsica. Okay. You know, like you do. Between 1775 and 1780, that was when he delivered the prophecy to brothers Franz and Rudolf Graffer in Vienna, and this predicts Napoleon Bonaparte. So, yeah, he pretty much says after the monarchy's gone, another dude's gonna come in. Shit's gonna get real. Now, what I think is really interesting is the name Graf keeps coming up here because he uses the name Graf when he's in Russia. Uh, he's going by Graf Sol uh, Soltikov. He suddenly meets uh, Graf Maximilian Joseph von Lamberg. And then he tells this philosophy to the Graffer brothers. That is a lot of graph. It had me wondering if graph was like a title or something, because it sounded like such a weird word. I wonder if They're it's like, a title or if it's like today's Smith. I just think that no. it's like, it's mm. in there a lot. Like, the fact that there's someone with a title whose name is Graff. Mm. And then you have just like the Graffer brothers. <laughs> It was like sound like really like rejected like DC villains like the old goons for the Joker and the Graffa brothers are coming with our chains. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna tie you up with math and graph. <laughs> <laughs> now you will tell me the the area. How do you draw hyperbole? Bring out your Texas T eighty four calculators. <laughs> I dug real deep for that joke. I'm that sorry. That's beautiful. And now, this is one of my favorite ones. This is one of the rumored ones. In 1776, a mysterious man is present at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> you know what? I bet there were a lot of strange people at the signing of the Declaration, some of them being the founding fathers. I mean, Amen. let's talk about the Hellfire Club for a second. The what? The Hellfire Club that Benjamin Franklin was a part of. Where they had like a lot of orgies and shit, and he had a lot of mistresses. Overseas, well, that sounds like fun. And this sounds like another episode. Is that what they're referring to in the Ben Franklin episode of The Office? Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did not uh, pursue pursue that information. Okay, that, that is know. the joke. I'm glad that I'm on Pam Beasley level. <laughs> <laughs> At least. <laughs> At very least. Um, so yeah, there's a mysterious man at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And I'm like, great, thank you, internet, for throwing that one in there. It's like, I'm sure there were some English spies, too. Doe. That, so, okay, so between 75 and 80, he was do he was doing what? He delivered the prophecy predicting the French Revolution. At some point during that time. Yeah, and he predicted Napoleon Bonaparte, like, during that window. Because, like, I mean, it's not like these days. I mean, getting back and forth to America wasn't exactly the easiest feat. Yeah, but it doesn't take five years to bounce back and I was going to ask, yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's five whole years where he's like, the prophecy foretold. <laughs> and like, I'm, again, well, this has to be another one, like those rumored ones, because like, I can see like these people being like, he prophesied Napoleon Bonaparte. And they're like, yeah, he did in 1776. Oh wait, no, we're saying he's in America. It was 1777. Oh wait, no, we were at church that time. And then, <laughs> no, it was 1789. Now I remember. I mean, yeah. given he took, he spoke for an entire dinner party, maybe it really did take him five years to make this prophecy. And he just spoke that entire I'm time. I'm just a He has like a master like Lafayette coming across the Atlantic, just like pulling down really hard on his hat so he doesn't hear this guy. He's like, Jesus Christ! Monsieur, please, monsieur! <laughs> we can just save the revolution! We understand the point. Sir, get the shit off my boat! <laughs> this is why they sent you to the colonies. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, we can also thank Ewan McGregor for my French accent because I'm going to credit his uh, performance as Lumia in oh, Beauty God. and the Beast for my French accent. <laughs> I am Lumia. <laughs> Dark and very, very dusty. <laughs> that right. sounds like the worst porn ever. Okay, so also in 1776, it's rumored that he's traveling under the name uh, Chevalier Weldon. Or Weldon. So there's two different spellings on it. Weldon is apparently the name he's traveling under. Allegedly. In 1777, it is known that he meets the Prussian ambassador von Alvinsleben. Sure. In Dresden. (laughs) And then he moves to Dresden later that year. So he meets the Prussian ambassador and he's like, this place is pretty dope. And decides to live there. Where's Dresden? Prussia. Prussia. What's, is Prussia Iran? Prussia? What's Prussia? Now. Now. Oh, uh, Prussia is the territory between, I want to say, uh, Russia and usually like, uh, the Baltics? Persia. Persia. I was, I was confusing Persia and Prussia. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, definitely European. Awesome. Thank you. So he decides, hey, Prussia sounds cool. Then in 1779, he visits the Danish prince, Charles of Hesse Castle. Now you may have heard this name before, but we can talk about that later. Uh, the prince refers to him as, quote, one of the greatest philosophers who has ever lived, hmm. is known, and this I thought was actually kind of cool, it is known that in 1782, he was elected to be a representative for the Freemasons at the Wilhelmsenbad Conference. So he was a Freemason. Okay. Which could also be why people are like, maybe he was in America? Maybe we just want him to be in America because it brings up the mystere of the Freemasons. We do know this for a fact. He was a Freemason and he was elected to be a representative at a conference. Then on February 17th, my birthday is the 16th. So the day after my birthday, we will mourn. February 17th, 1784, he dies. This is the reported death of the Count of St. Germain. I looked high and low. I could not find a cause of death. All we know is that this is what historically is reported as it. Uh, He was buried on May 2nd, but his friend, Prince Charles of Hesse Castle, actually had him moved to Schleswig, Friedrichsburg. Wait, why was there so much time? If he died February 17th, why didn't they bury him until May 2nd? Do you think it's a valid question why it was there so much time? Right, because it's not like they had morgues back then. What did they do with his body? Yeah, I keep it somewhere cold and underground and hope (laughs) for the best. Just go home and put him in there. Well, like, you know, that wasn't the burial? Because that's right, it's the burial! (laughs) Well, you know how you used to preserve food back then, right? You put it in the ground. No, you covered it in salt. Oh. Oh, They just salted the shit out of him. (laughs) 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 This made a good, like, Count of St. Germain jerky. (laughs) Oh my god. So, (laughs) alright, so that was his recorded death, and then months later, he was like, like, Three, like two and a half to three, no, more than that. Many months later, he yeah, was buried. Three months. Yeah, because originally I was thinking, you know, maybe he died and he was far away from a cemetery, so like they took some time to, you know, plop him in a grave, but it sounds like he was originally buried uh, after his death, and then it was May 2nd that his friend the prince had his body moved. Oh, I see. Okay. So he was disinterred. Yes. <laughs> they, they dug up that Count of St. Germain jerky. <laughs> oh, Took a few cold. bites for the road. <laughs> you gotta have your protein. Oh, this long journey. Okay. 
cannibalism jokes. And wait, sorry, who moved him again and why did he move him? Uh, it was Prince Charles of Hesse Castle. He was the guy that he went to visit at the end of his life. Okay. The one who said he was one of the greatest philosophers that ever lived. Okay. Now, again, remember, nobody knows who the hell this guy is. So my personal opinion is the prince is probably like, we may not be able to get him back to his real family because we're not entirely sure of his true identity. And maybe this was going to be a, we'll move him until like the proper channels tell us who he is. But because of the service that he did to me in my life and the service I think he deserves, we're going to bury him here. Nice. Okay. He's never been moved. He's still oh, okay. there. All right. Wait, that like, can sense. you visit the grave of Count St. Germain? I'm sure you can. Oh, let's go. Okay. Right now. Podcast <laughs> <laughs> field trip. Yeah. So he died on February 17th, 1784. It is known that in 1785, and this is in Masonic logs, the Count of St. Germain was to be the representative at a convention in Paris. His name is in the logbook as the representative in 1785. This is undisputed. There is a signature in the book that is registered as Dr. E.E. E. Eckert, which some people say is the Count of St. Germain. I don't know why they decided this. Probably because they couldn't account for who E.E. E. Eckert was? Probably. Also, E.E. E. Eckert is a suspicious <laughs> name. Yeah. Count Alessandro de Cagliostro. Now, this is the pseudonym again used by that occultist, magician, alchemist, philosopher Giuseppe Balsamo, who is kind of like a very much Count of St. Germain character himself. <laughs> He was also at the convention, and he said that he actually saw the Count of St. Germain, and he said that he saw him partake in a ritual that would make him a Templar. Oh. So, couple things in play here. My suspicion is that they probably put him down on the books to be a representative at the convention long before his death. Because right. remember, one of the reasons why Napoleon got away with like marching everyone into a to Africa and just abandoning them is because it took so much time for word to get back to France that by the time France found out that he pretty much failed in Africa, it didn't matter anymore because he's already doing shit up there. Mm. So correspondence took a long time. So they may have like written his name down, like this is going to be our representative. Or like at the last convention, like trying to decide who is going to be there at the next one. Like, yeah. The year before. Or maybe like they wrote his name down, not knowing that he had passed away because word hadn't gotten to them yet. Yeah, there. I think there's a lot of possibilities to account for that other than he was there and he was alive yeah yeah and i think you know this other guy saying that he saw him is kind of like playing like into that mythos of who was the count of saint germain like oh yeah of course i saw him it's like people seeing elvis today yeah yeah but then there's also the question of what if i mean did he fake his own death then at that point or is he like and he's just getting older or is i mean i know there's a lot of rumors that he's immortal yeah, well, and we also remember record keeping at this time, it, it's not perfect. And for some of these dates, I would I saw things that were like, this happened in like 1765. And like, I did some more digging. I'm like, no, this was 1767 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So some of these accounts, depending on your source material, may be a little bit skewed. And also so many things have been translated and moved around. It's been hundreds of years. Yeah. So you can also kind of account for maybe they just got his death wrong. Mm -hmm. Who knows? This is still like kind of like in that window of maybe he's still around. Maybe there's just some historical error. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely some like reasonable doubt for like dates being exact as far as people knowing information. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I think he was dead and this is all bullshit because I'm like, if a prince is moving your body, that's probably going to be something that's on an official record somewhere. I would think that would be written down yeah. somewhere. Yeah. It's just a little important. Our prince just went and dug up this jerky. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, uh, okay, counter to that, devil's advocate, maybe a prince has the kind of resources to do some things off the book sometimes. That's true. Like, you know? Well, yeah, maybe he said it was Count St. Germain, but it was actually, maybe maybe it was his boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, mm. you never know. It could have been another Scandal. body. That's very fair. Maybe he, Count St. Germain was his boyfriend. <gasps> yeah. Actually, Fine. here's one of the funny things that I did find, not funny, here's one of the interesting things I did find out is a lot of people talked about how he seemed to, like, have no interested interest in the opposite sex at all. There's no implication that he was homosexual at all. It's just, he never seemed to have, like, a lover or anyone that he was in an intimate relationship with. That's why he has so much energy. It's all being sublimated <laughs> into his projects and his careers and his lives. Actually, I heard that about Tim Gunn, because Tim Gunn is, uh, he's abstinent. Mm. And he's like, you know, I would rather channel my energy into my work, into what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm losing anything. Has he been abstinent forever? His whole life. He's been celibate. Some people are also are asexual and just don't have the urge. That's yeah. true. Also, can we take a moment to appreciate Tim Gunn and how amazing he is? Make it he work. He's amazing. He's amazing. Make it work. Make it work. He does. <laughs> he always makes it work. And he makes me want to. <laughs> Just get a tattoo that says, or just like above your mirror, just write, make it work. Mm. Every day, whatever your situation is, you know what? Make it work. Make it work. Yeah. It's words to live by. Yeah. That's 1785. In 1786, it is rumored that he met the Empress of Russia, who at the time was Catherine the Great. Ooh. Oh. If that's true, that is dope. Yeah. I mean, he hung out with Voltaire, Casanova, and I was saying, I'm intrigued by this ma magician philosopher guy that said he saw him in 1985. Or I 1985. He's 1785. Yeah. He's actually going to become even more interesting as we get into this. Okay. He seems mysterious to me. I would actually, I did not know about him until I started doing this research, and now I want to research the poop out of him. Yeah. So, um,. Then it's rumored that in 1788, he met the Count de Chalons, and he claimed that the Count of Saint-Germain, or rather, uh, the Count de Chalons claimed that he saw the Count of Saint-Germain in the Palace of Saint-Marc. And then it's rumored that later in 1788, he met with Baron Linden and claimed that he was headed to the Himalayas and no one would see him for, quote, 85 years. <laughs> 85. <laughs> so I feel like at this point, like... Let, let's admit, anybody who was anybody in Europe at this time met the Count of St. Germain. So, like, what's, like, the best way to probably, like, boost yourself up is see, like, you saw him mm. or hung out with him or spoke with him? That's true. But, like, the Himalayas for 85 years! Maybe they drained his whole body of blood and just put him in the cold and then he came back to life. I like that idea. <laughs> they really preserved that uh, Count of St. Germain jerky steak. Salt. Yeah, yeah, the salt definitely yeah. helped. Uh, I think headed for the Himalayas is like the new like out to lunch or gone fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hasn't been a Count of St. Germain around here in 85 years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jerome. <laughs> More on that later. So then, and this is, like I said, it was about to get really interested about the other guy. In 1789, this is known, a written work known as the Most Holy Trinisophia was taken by the Inquisition in Rome. It was in possession of Cagliostro, and it was rumored to have been authored by the Count. Based on the writings, though, it's actually more likely that Cagliostro wrote it himself. Mm. It is 
one of the most desired magical tomes in history. It talks about alchemy, uh, science, and uh, religion, and mythology, and everything merging together. Um, I saw a thing that said the true theme to the 1980s movie, The Secret of Nim, which is a great movie. Mm. I love The Secret of Nim. It's, it's a Don Bluth movie. Oh yeah, it's a damn good movie. Mm. I heard somewhere that the theme of the movie is that you need science, magic, and something else uh, to go forward in the future. And that's what the elders are actually really debating. And that's mm. what the secret of Nim is, is just the meeting of those three things. And that's kind of what this book is talking about. And I think Cagliostro, it was easier for him to tell the Inquisition... No, the Count of St. Germain wrote it. I didn't write it because he's, number one, not going to be in as much trouble if he didn't write it. But also, it really boosts the mythos of it more. And if you really want the word of it to get out there, then attach a really cool name to it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm, I've been trying to, like, as you were talking, I wrote down, like, Trinosophia. I was trying to break down, like, the meaning of what that would mean. Because Trin made me think, like, Trinity and Osophy exactly. is, like, philosophy. Yeah. Hmm. Um... This is one of two written works that's accredited to him. Another one is called the Triangle Manuscript, and it's literally called the Triangle Manuscript because the pages are literally triangular. Shut up, it's, so the whole book is triangular? It's like an upside-down equilateral triangle. What? I'd buy that. Wait, actually, I think it's an isosceles, because I think the two arms are actually longer than the base. Yeah, I think that's what that is. Yeah. Do we know the subject of the triangle manuscript? Kind of the same thing along the lines of, like, philosophy, of his personal philosophies and things, but it's not as universal or as in-depth as the other manuscript. I okay. believe the writing styles are slightly different, but the themes are similar, but Cagliostro and the Count of Saint-Germain had very similar opinions. They kind of ran in the same kind of circles of thinking. I feel okay. like a triangular book would be really frustrating to read. Imagine the paper cuts you would get to trying to turn your page because it's at an angle. So yeah, it's a horizontal. It? It's a vertical. So if you, you look it at it, way? yeah, the point up. would be down and then you would flip up as you're reading. Oh, okay. So I then you're still see. flipping on a long edge. Like, yeah. Yeah. At a natural, more natural angle. At least okay. That makes more sense, actually. Like a legal like, pad, the triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's how the triangle manuscript looks. <laughs> the triangle um, manuscript sounds like a sequel to the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> the triangle <laughs> manuscript. Out there, Dan Brown's like, genius! <laughs> you better pay us. Yeah. We want money for that, Dan Brown. Yeah. But he should have stopped at Origin. So, uh, October 5th of 1789, it is rumored that- That's my birthday! Not the year. <laughs> I'm much, much older than that. Lazy day say jamais. Because she was so clever on the name, she picked up on it real quick. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, the Countess de Admar, now number one, two things before I go into this, we're going to hear a lot from her. Apparently she was a friend of the Counts in life. Number two, pretty sure she's full of shit. Okay. Number three, every single time I see de Admar, I just think of Count Admar and the Joust. <laughs> I don't know what that is. A Night's Tale. A Night's Tale! Uh, okay, alright. The best is when they are playing, um, what is the, what's that song? We Will Rock You. We yes. Will Rock You on trumpets. It's like a, Oh, the, the so, opening, like it ends and they put the trumpets so down. Good. Right? <laughs> the movie, it is so ridiculous and over the top, it's perfect. I love that movie. Yeah. I think about it often, well actually. Yeah. We own that movie. 
as well. It's a great film. Yeah. Brilliant film. So it's rumored that the Countess de Admar, who was a close friend of the Count, received a letter implying the end of the French monarchy, including the death of Marie Antoinette. And this was October 5th of 1789. That's when the letter was dated. In 1793 is the death of Marie Antoinette. All right. Then in 1798, and this is rumored, an Englishman encounters the Saint of, Ger- of Count Germain in a revolutionary prison in France. And that just seems a little too convenient for me. Mm. What year is that? That was 1798. All right. It's been dead for a while I was going to say, is yeah. there a record of what year he was born? There isn't. Okay, because I guess I yeah, don't know Yeah, nobody who knows is. who he is. Yeah. So he was just in prison in 1798, is that what you're saying? Yeah, in 1798, an Englishman encounters the saint of Count Germain in a revolutionary prison in France. This is one person's account of saying, yeah, this dude that was in the cell next to me told her the Count of Saint Germain. Seems legit. Maybe the name the Count of Saint Germain is like James Bond. Just gets passed on. Mm, Maybe. Also, like, I thought Saint Germain was like a saint and to be a count of, isn't it usually a count of somewhere? Is Saint Germain also a place? It might be. I mean, like there's the Count of Monte Cristo. It's the island that he found the treasure. Right? right. Yeah. It's usually like a place and not like a. But there's some places that are named after the that's, Saint. Yeah, Trude, that's likely. So okay. I mean, like Saint Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> Count de Saint Paul. <laughs> I bring the worst winters. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, in 1799, it's rumored that the Count visits the Countess de Admar. Again, you're gonna see her a lot the night before Napoleon's coup. <laughs> and then in 1804, the Countess de Admar sees the Count the day following the death of. Louis Antoine de Bourbon, Dick and Lear. <laughs> Dick de Ain. Oh, well, that clarified things. Yeah, I'm glad you. You know, I like to add a little bit more phlegm, makes it a little bit clearer. Yeah. That's the Russian. Yeah. <laughs> your, um, it's not your Look, the dentist. Russian in me really needs to come out sometimes. <laughs> she really does. She's like, Alexandra Karen Yerovich. <laughs> Oh god, Americans are so small. I have sidebar. <laughs> I I was talking about. I was like, I we were watching TV the other night, and someone said a name that sounded like Yenovich, and I was like, oh, that sounds like Alex last. Alex is a maiden name, and Jake pokes his head around from the kitchen and goes, Yenovich. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, I just sound like an angry cranium every time I say it. <laughs> That's what I appreciate it's about you. That's what you appreciate. That's what you appreciate so about me. Yet. I wish I knew how to say allegedly in Russian. <laughs> we'll get there. Right. I bet the Count of Saint Germain knew how to say allegedly in Russian. Oh, he did. We learned how to say that during the revolution. In 1804, you know, sees him day before this dude's killed. Then, nine years later, in 1813, it's rumored that the Count just straight up visited the Countess Danmar. When was that? Uh, 1813. Okay, so, like, he died, like, okay, like, five... 50 years after yeah. that? Yeah. What's the first date that you wrote down? Uh, the very first date that I wrote down, the start of all this, was 1737. 1710, 1710 is like the first rumor time okay. he may have been in the court, but 1737 is the official beginning of the Count St. Germain timeline. Also, fun fact, this is what came up on Google for Count St. Germain's gravestone. Wow. Oh. Like a strange monolith. It looks like yeah. a whale's penis. <laughs> <laughs> what does oh. it look like a whale's penis to you, Alex? Usually it's a whale's vagina, Lacey. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> 
Uh, whale's vagina. Where were we? So we were going from like 1710 to now we're in 1813 and he's visiting this countess again. Again. Like, and that's not even his birth. That's just like supposedly. When he was a full grown adult, right? Maybe, maybe when they saw him first. first. And that may not have been his adulthood too. That could have been like a kid running around in a court somewhere. Okay, I mean, that's fair. True. Yeah, it's just. But still, we're a hundred years. The first time we may have heard about him. It was the first time, like, I don't know, pre pre uh, prepubescent Count of St. Germain's like, oh, we'll Count of St. Germain from now on. <laughs> and his friends were like, okay, John. Okay, let's come to the Count of St. Germain. You go now. Shut up, Kyle. <laughs> Alright. So then in 1820, Albert Van Damme uh, writes his memoirs, An Englishman in Paris. And he suggests that he met the Count of St. Germain while he was there. So this book did come out in 1820, so that is confirmed. Whether or not he made up that he actually met the Count or not is speculatory. Given the time that this would have come out and how long he would have been in Paris, highly, highly doubtful. Yeah. Uh, in 1860, it is rumored that he met with Lord Lytton, and now you know this guy, but you don't know you know this guy. Oh. This is the guy, he's a very famous writer. He wrote things that you may recognize, such as, the pen is mightier than the sword. Oh. Huh. And the very famous introduction, it was a dark and stormy night. Wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, Lord Lytton claims that he met with the Count of St. Germain in 1860. We're getting up to, like, we're getting close to a hundred years since this guy's been dead. So, also, we're purely in rumored now. In 1867, he was seen at the Freemasons Guild in Milan, and this is also in Masonic record. Wow. I wow. have some suspicions regarding this. Okay. Um, so, the Freemasons, like many secret societies, they perform rituals that are based on actual events. One of the Masonic events is the stabbing of three guild members, which is actually reenacted at your induction. It's kind of seen as a symbol, a symbol of Freemasons, of unionized workers that are not bound to single contractor. Okay. So they do a lot of things that involve symbolism, repetition. So you may like hear a name of someone that's dead and someone is referred to as an individual who's dead, but that's only a symbolic place. I can see the Freemasons for two reasons having the Count of St. Germain listed as being in Milan at this time. Okay. Number one, pure symbolism. We have someone that represents the spirit of the Count of St. Germain. Maybe someone who's also a philosopher, someone who's also interested in alchemy, science, etc, etc. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a new rank amongst them. Number two, that also helps build up their own mythos. I mean, it's like, these are the guys that have, like, the Count of St. Germain stashed away somewhere in his whole right. jerky self. That's <laughs> All that salt. He's very salty when he speaks to people these days. <laughs> well, and like you said, it's been, like, almost a hundred years since he died, so it's possible also that, like, somebody else has taken on this name. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the Dread Pirate Roberts. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. I was trying to think of his name. I was just picturing Dreamy Curiules from that time. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't? Fun mm. fact about him, you know he's in uh, Stranger Things season three, right? Yeah. Oh, he looks good in it. I feel like I saw him in it, but I don't remember. He plays He's the, the mayor. mayor. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, second yeah. I saw him, yeah. I like screamed, Dread Roberts! And Jake was like, what the fuck are you talking he about? He looks way better than he did in Saw. That's yeah, because in Saw, yeah. it had been a few years since Saw. Like, you can you can see his age on him in Stranger Things, but you can tell, like, he's gotten back in shape. Yeah. He looks healthy. Yeah. He, he looks, looks like himself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm confident that I probably shouted out his name to Lee, but I'm just don't remember now. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't shout his real name. I shouted 
Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> is that not his real name? Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> My name is Ryan. <laughs> and then in 1870, this is known that Napoleon III put together a commission to collect all information on the Count of St. Germain, and the records were kept at the Hotel de Ville. This is known. I wonder why, though. Like, what prompted him to want to know all about him? He was just fascinated by it. But, like, wasn't he supposedly involved in predicting Napoleon the first coming about? And so maybe Napoleon III was like, I want to do some research on, like, genealogy, and this guy seems to play a role. Yeah, I mean, the Count of St. Germain at this point, like, he's a very mythical character. He's more fiction than fact at this point. He's more myth than man, one might say. (laughs) So, I mean, I can understand people being fascinated by him. We're fascinated by him. That's why we're doing a whole fucking podcast episode on (laughs) him. Why would anyone ever care about this Well, question. So, what year did he die? Uh, 84. 84. And what year did he, um, did Napoleon, like, rise to power? I have an answer for that somewhere. What if Count St. Germain is Napoleon? I can can verify he's not Napoleon. Okay. It's like, it's like that was a, my thought of like his grandson is looking into him. Is it because he thought maybe I don't know was related in some way? Yeah, I just it just crossed my mind. Well, and if he was a legend to a lot of people, then he might have been a legend in the family as well, right? That's true. And be like, well, who the fuck is this guy that we always talk that about? That has been dead yeah. for a hundred years and yet keeps being seen. And also, right. like, if you had all the resources, especially like all the resources of France in the center of Europe, one like the greatest nations in Europe. And you wanted to research someone and you could just do it for funsy? Do it. Yeah, I guess, I suppose. Why not? Yeah. Back when information wasn't nearly so accessible. Yeah, so in 1817, Napoleon III puts together the commission and they keep all of their records that they find. Uh, letters, documents, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Anything they can find at the Hotel, Hotel de Ville. But then in 1871, and this is known... A fire breaks out in the hotel and it destroys all the records. The cause of the fire is still unknown. Mm. So it was him. 1870. Yeah. He's literally arson. Yeah. <laughs> kind of St. Tremaine's just like, nah. You don't get to know this. <laughs> miss me with that record shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then it's rumored that at the, that in 1873... Thream. I didn't know that was a word. 1873. In 1873, it's rumored that Madame Blavatsky met the Count. Now, she's a very famous Russian occultist and spiritualist. She says that she met him in 1873. Sounds like a way for her to boost her career. Yeah. In 1896, it is rumored that he met Annie Bissot. Same thing. Same Jesus. thing. Same thing. She's also another spiritualist. In 1896, Madame Blavatsky claims to have met with the Count of St. Germain several times, not just that once. She also claims that he is an immortal from Shambhala in the Himalayas. Thanks to Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, I know that Shambhala is another name for Shangri-La. Oh, hey. I get most of my education from video games. <laughs> We're both like, and what does that mean? I heard a song on Spotify called Shangri-La today. <laughs> Everybody's heard of Shangri-La, the immortal city that may or may not be lost to man. Oh, I guess I didn't know that. I thought I was thinking Sri Lanka. And by everybody, you mean everyone but myself. <laughs> by everyone, Alex means Alex. <laughs> have you seen a Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? Oh, oh un- unfortunately, I have seen it's that It's a film. terrible movie. It is a train wreck ship pile of a film. At the very end, when she has, like, the two pictures left and, like, there are all the animals and everything around, that's supposed to be Shangri-La. Oh, okay. All right. 
Yeah. Uh, I was confusing it with Sri Lanka because uh, words. Yeah. Shangri-La <laughs> is supposed to be like this hidden utopia somewhere on Earth, kind of like almost uh, a version of Eden. Or like El Dorado. Yeah, essentially. Okay. So Shambhala is another word for Shangri-La. Okay. So supposedly he is in the Himalayas. Been more than 85 years, he just really likes it there. And he's just chillin' in Shambhala for funsies. Um, well, if it was like an Eden, you would never leave. Yeah. It's like when you have a dog and your mom tells you the dog has just gone to Shambhala. <laughs> happy life there on a farm. <laughs> Maybe that's where St. Germain is and he just comes for visits. Yeah. He's really happy he has room to run. Yeah, with all the other counts of St. Germain. <laughs> and violins to play. Yeah. Harpsichords as far as the eye can see. <laughs> And then it's rumored in 1897 that French singer Emma Calve met the Count. Jesus, we're nearly. No, we're in 1902. We're nearly to the. 20th but this century, is where yeah. the vampire rumors begin. This is what we've been waiting for. Guess where it takes place? Where's America's haven for vampires? New Orleans. Yes. Is it really? Yeah. Hell oh, yeah. Have you, number one, have you not read any Anne Rice? Interview with a vampire, the no, vampire Lestat, the vampire Ramon. I want you to see my vampire rumors begin upstairs. Lacey <laughs> <laughs> like, drew the most adorable smiley face. Thanks. <laughs> I really like realize taking notes helps me like stay present and remember what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's there's a lot of detail on this, so I appreciate yeah, that. Also, nice. thank you, listeners, for bearing with me. Now we're ready for vampires in New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. So, in 1902, a man calling himself Jacques Saint-Germain arrived in New Orleans and claimed to be a relative of the Count. Police later arrived at his home at 1041 Royal Street after a woman leapt from his balcony on the second floor. He had tried to bite her by the neck like a vampire. Oh shit. When a knock at the door distracted him, he promised to track her down to the police station but fled the city instead, and he was nicknamed Vampire Jack. Oh shit. Um, fun fact, I looked up 1041 Royal Street in New Orleans. New Orleans. Oh, it's not for sale. But this is what it looks like. Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh my god. I was hoping it was for sale. And okay. And I was like, so we're all moving to New Orleans. Sidebar, yes. sidebar, sidebar. Not this year. Next year. My birthday will be a Mardi Gras again. We're going. I've already promised myself that when my birthday is on Mardi Gras next, I will be in New Orleans. So now we all have to go. We're, we're going. We all have right. to. Alright, we're doing a tour of the Anne Rice house, and we're visiting the house of uh, Jacques Saint-Germain. We have to go to some of those voodoo shops. Like, dude, that whole absolutely. thing fascinates me. I love it. And all those haunted tours you can do oh, down there. Oh, dude. Uh, we're I going. Have, I have an embarrassing fact to confess. Oh, Jimmy, God. I've already confessed. You want to see where Ashley Judd was entombed in Double Jeopardy? Now I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say that uh, voodoo and all of that in like New Orleans culture is the reason I stopped watching scary movies for a long time because of the movie Skeleton Key with I want to really? say Kate Hudson, Hudson, which I have heard from multiple people is not a scary movie. But I have uh, listeners you may or may not know. I have had anxiety my whole life, <laughs> and I've been learning this very recently. That like this is not a new thing. Like, see, this is how you operate. And I I did not sleep like the entire night after I watched that oh. movie because I was so afraid of voodoo. <laughs> like, I, it's not it's so unspecific too. Like, did I think like I knew someone who would put a curse on me? Like, the, it wasn't anyway. Like, yeah, specific. the jump scare of her sitting up with the stitches on her face. I mean, that's the only scary part in the whole movie to me. It pumped too much adrenaline into my system for me to well, calm also, down. Also, voodoo is one of those like 
it, it's a very nefarious kind of fear because it's you have to believe it for it to work. Sure. So if you're even a little afraid of it, that yeah, implies that it's real to you and you believe yeah. enough for it to work. My I've favorite form of voodoo in a movie is in Lilo and Stitch when she puts her friend's faces on the forks, <laughs> puts <laughs> them in a the pickle jar, I've and then shakes it. it up. You've never seen Lilo and what? Stitch? I love you guys who are a little younger than I am and it just missed me a little. Uh, anyway, so he was this guy was nicknamed Vampire Jack. This mm. is something that you can look up. The truth behind it is a little bit skewed, but there is confirmation that there was a woman attacked by a guy that called himself Jacques Saint Germain. So, 1925. Jesus. Rumored, seen at the Masonic Convention in France. We already talked uh, about this. Let's just yeah. Let, let's skip over this Mason shit. Uh, in 1926, it is rumored that occultist C. W. Leadbeater. What I hope that's name. Pronounced Leadbeater. Uh, Leadbeater or Leadbeater. Well, beat your lead. <laughs> <laughs> he claimed that he met the Count in Rome, and he said the man had brown eyes, olive skin, and a pointed beard. That doesn't track because. In the beginning, the only reason I remember this is because of the books that I read. He had bright, light green eyes. Yeah, and one of the things everybody says, like, he was very striking to look at, particularly his eyes. Right. And yeah. I mean, like, big, beautiful brown doe eyes are one thing, but those aren't striking. Striking yeah. eyes that would pull you in are bright eyes. Yeah. yeah that's and the, also again, what I was thinking. The only reason I remember that is because every every descendant of his in this series that had got the gene to travel in time had those same bright green yeah. eyes. So that doesn't track. Yeah. It actually gets even more bullshitty on this guy's like quote of meeting the count. He said that the that Saint Germain showed him a robe that had been previously owned by a Roman emperor, and Saint Germain told him one of his residences was a castle in Transylvania. Also, according to this guy, when performing magical rituals in his castle in Transylvania, Saint Germain wears, quote, a suit of golden chain mail, which belonged to a Roman emperor. What? First of all, chain mail. We'll get into that later. Uh, and over it is thrown a magnificent cloak of Tyrian purple with on its clasp a seven-pointed star in diamond and amethyst and sometimes wears a glorious robe of violet. That sounds heavy. Sounds like this dude had one hell of an acid trip. <laughs> yeah. I think that what he means by that is when he saw St. Germain, his eyes were bullshit brown. <laughs> I think what happened is he went to Rome and found an opium den. <laughs> and the guy who was selling him shit was like, oh yeah, man, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm like hundreds of years old. And these, let me show you some magic. Woo, smoke more. Woo. <laughs> Chase that dragon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 In 1930. Oh my god. <laughs> it continues. It's rumored that Guy or Guy Ballard met him in Mount Shasta, California. And this guy, I this is how I described him in my notes. He was an engineer, spiritualist, and a kook. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1933. It is rumored that Vampire Jack attacked two women in two days in a row in New Orleans. Seems legit to me. Was he wearing the um, chainmail and the cloak? You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, just a story about a random unknown person attacking women in the night in New Orleans is probably part one superstition, part two good old-fashioned racism. That is a good point. 
Uh, I have a sentence I would like for you to say in a Jerome voice. Is that good? Okay. It's a vampire Jack back to back attack. <laughs> <laughs> vampire Jack at back to back attacks two days in a row here in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> That was beautiful. <laughs> it's very close to like my uh, Mr. DNA voice. Yeah, it, it was a little bit, but it didn't have uh, that southern drawl that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. You were trying to give it more of the newsreader. Yeah. Oh, um, Listen here, you sad, sad Charlie. <laughs> slightly related to your um, d- DNA voice, uh, you'll be happy to know as I was taking stuff out to the storage unit today, I felt an irrepressible urge, so I didn't repress it. And I ended up uh, like really singing the Jurassic Park theme song to myself. Like my God, <laughs> loud enough to where my neighbors would definitely hear me if they were home. So that was 1933. This is the last one. Cause I've I've run out of space on both sides of my paper with my notes. I don't have any more. Okay, 19 win. 33 was the last one. Okay. So now this is the very, 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 very last one. Mm-hmm. You said that. 1942 to 1945. Rumored. Essentially, this guy who. Uh, worked on the Manhattan Project. Their names are redacted uh, at this time so that his grandfather was essentially at Bohemian Grove around the time of the Manhattan Project and may or may not have spoken with the Count of St. Germain or this guy whose name uh, said is Marcus S. Garman may or may not have been the Count of St. Germain talking to him. (laughs) That one again, squarely in the bullshit line. Well, it's crazy because like, I've got one half of the, like one side of this paper is things that happened during his life and it's just like around the border of the paper. And then the other side is things that have happened during, after his death and it's way more notes. (laughs) Like, so many things are supposed to have happened after he died. And so, I mean, this guy clearly did live a very fucking fascinating life, but it sounds yeah. like after he died, it just kind of like became the thing to say like, oh, I saw the Count of St. Germain. <laughs> I guess That's it was kind of like their version of seeing Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. So who was the Count of St. Germain? <laughs> yeah, who was this motherfucker? So there are a couple you of- You footsie with me? Is that your foot? That is my foot. <laughs> that was the table. It's okay. You can play footsie with me. I just want it to be, you know- Consensual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to see each other naked soon. That's true. Again. Won't be the first or last time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So much nudity. Yeah. It'll get really weird once we're in our 80s. Boobs. (laughs) That's our other podcast. (laughs) Uh, The first rumor is, so at the very end of his life, remember Prince Charles, the Danish prince who moved his body and had him reburied? He told Prince Charles that he was the son of Francis II uh, Rakowski who was the Prince of Transylvania. Records show that the Prince's eldest son, Leopold George, died when he was four. It is suggested that Leopold's death may have been a ruse to protect him, because at the time, later in life, uh, during the Austrian War of Succession, the this prince Francis uh, Rakowski successfully toppled the Habsburgs of Austro-Hungarian nobility. And so while that was going on, is when the Count of Saint Germain was reportedly in England during the Jacobite Rebellion. Okay. So that's why these dates are important. So it would make sense that because uh, this prince was looking to topple this throne, why they would want to protect his son and keep him hidden from the world. Today, the prince is actually seen as a national hero of Hungary. 
If the Count were his son, it would make good sense to hide him from the Prince's political enemies, even sending him to work for France in an English uprising. And also note this, that in 1779, he told the Count that he was 88 right before his death, which would have put his birthday in 1691. Now, the Prince would have been 15 at the time, but that's not entirely unheard of. And also, this Prince did reach out to Louis XIV of France regarding negotiations for Hungarian independence in 1701. So there was already a relationship with the French aristocracy and, and nobility. We know that, like Louis the Fourteenth, wasn't he like? Louis the Fifteenth was who the Count of Saint Germain worked for, mm. but it was uh, Louis the Fourteenth that his supposed father okay. reached out to. Okay. Uh, the prince died in 1735, two years before the first known appearances of the Count of Saint Germain. So that's one suggestion. Another one is uh, due to his education and artistic ability, it's suggested that he was maybe the son of a fallen noble household. That happens all the time. And he may have concealed his true name, taking advantage of the traditions of the 1700s by adopting a pseudonym just to avoid both embarrassment and condemnation. It is also suggested that the Count of St. Germain may have simply been a charismatic con man. He may have had a little Ted Bundy in him. (laughs) (laughs) He may have simply been a man who did not look his age, either appearing youthful in his late age like Keanu Reeves, or looking like he aged early in life like poor Nicolas Cage, who's looked the same age since he was 20. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Casanova once referred to him as the, quote, celebrated and learned imposter. He's been in a feature of the works of many fiction. He is suggested to be an immortal, a wizard, an alchemist, an angel, a demon, a vampire, or none of the above. Perhaps he was or all of the yeah, or, pers- <laughs> or maybe he was just an extraordinary man whose eccentricities have bred just as many fictional tales as there are incredible truths. Whatever yeah. it was, was, he made it work. Yeah. <laughs> he, he Tim Gunn did. Make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Gunn is the Count of St. Germain. I figured it out. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts? I like that. I feel like it was a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it, and I wish I knew more about history. <laughs> it's just, I found it really interesting. Again, I find him interesting, all the languages that he knew, and you were going through, like, what he was capable of doing. I remember mm-hmm. Lacey and I kept looking at each other like, what? Yeah. And these are, like, provable things. I think what we can chalk it up to is that he was probably just a really interesting human being and that people wanted to build this, like, mystique around because it made them, them, they themselves feel interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's really boiling it down to its essence. Mm. I do have a confession. Oh, God. I am the Countess of (laughs) Germain. You know, you haven't aged a day since I've known you, Alex. (laughs) I do look very young. I do have green eyes. I do have Eastern European ancestry. I feel like it's more likely that you're Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> AKA Dracula. How did you know? <laughs> this is good. It had everything. Yeah. This has everything. Everything. This story has everything. It has. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe Vlad the Impaler was the Count of St. Germain if they're both vampires. Oh, shit. Does the timing check out? Yeah, when was Vlad the Impaler? I Sorry. don't know. <laughs> I'm looking it up. All right. Do you have any idea, like, how many archives, I, how many books I have referenced, how much I have gone into for just this one this story? a lot, yeah. You did go into a lot of depth. I like that. 
Yeah, but that's why I had to do the timeline, because I'm like, I could, like, go down and, like, give you, like, a book report on it, but it's um, just... Vlad the Impaler died in 1476, so that does There's time, there's time, there's time, there's time. Yeah, that's fair. If he's an immortal, you know, what's yeah, the other That's years? true. I guess if he's Dracula, he's I mean, probably just laying low. <laughs> there was actually a rumor when I was in high school that I was a vampire, and I was just like, first of all, we live in Las Vegas, and there's nothing but sunlight all the time, so let's start there. But then you moved here. But, hmm. How you liking the rain, girl? <laughs> <laughs> Number two, according to Bram Stoker's Dracula, Vampires don't burst into dust in the sunlight. It's just not their natural time, and they just don't have their powers. And number three, I know I just destroyed my own argument. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could have not been a vampire then and be a vampire now. Yeah. And then I have an aunt who's a witch. That's right. She likes to dance naked around bonfires. I just don't know what. I don't know what she's doing. I saw her. I saw Goody Alex's aunt dancing in the pale moonlight with the devil. I saw it. Goody bowl. Thank you. Don't worry, I'll pick you up on your crucible jokes. I'm here for you. More weight. Well, that about wraps up our cast. That is that. that. Yeah. We are the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. So that's my favorite saying. And so that makes me happy. I love it so much. Let's bring witch vibes into 20. Yes. You know, it's funny because every now and then Heath is like, what what is the denomination of this household? Are you a Catholic? Are you an atheist? Are you a Wiccan? What is it this Yes. I'm a lot of things. I was like, you can't even handle it. You're like Count St. Germain in that way. Really? Yeah, you're all my things. With all my paintings, my harpsichord. (laughs) If you can play violin, I'm going to be really impressed. I cannot. Yet. (laughs) My grandma could. Yeah? Yeah, she had one in her junk room. Was she Count St. Germain? You see, it's actually a family thing. It's kind of like the Dread Pirate Roberts, but it's passed down to all women with green eyes <laughs> on my side of the family. Oh, and like my grandma, I'm the only other person in the family with green eyes. So you can travel in time then? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it. Uh- <laughs> Eat your blueberries. I will. Yeah. I inhaled mine almost immediately. They were delicious. I really wanted them to ferment. I'm sorry, you wanted to ferment? Ferment. Fermentation. Ferment. <laughs> you wanted them to ferment revolution. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 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 oh, right. Why don't we do a podcast where we're drinking? Because <laughs> it's fun. And if you'd like to drink along at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's it. All right, well, um, while we're still recording then, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for I coming. appreciate you guys. I wish I could do it every week with you, but um, I'm planning a wedding, so sure. that is not a thing that can happen at the moment. So, you know, yeah. we we appreciate having you when we can. Yeah, agreed for real. I like being here, so thank you. Yeah, I think that's it. All right, All right. cheers, cheers, Bing. <laughs> that's our new sound effect. Bing. He's a genius. A genius, monsieur. Clearly, Madame Giry. Genius has turned to madness. As always, thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love. If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. 
If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. Until next time, crackpots, crack, crack it, it like it's hot. hot.